Father, that is our desire, that we would trust your Son, that we would believe what he has said, that we would rely on him through your Spirit, so that you would be glorified in all things. And Father, we pray that right now as we come to hear your word, to worship you in listening to what you have recorded in your word for us, that our hearts would be right, that not one person listening or or here would uh, have sin that isn't dealt with, that we would set aside all the sin and all that remains of wickedness and receive your word implanted. Lord, I pray that we would have prepared hearts ready to receive and then to do what you say by your power and strength. Bless your words that goes out this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are many believers who see love of the brethren as serving one another, self-sacrificially. And that is truly one element of love. The book of Hebrews says that we are to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're to love one another. Uh, It's very clear, as we're going to see. And some people will try to increase their love by finding more ways to serve, just more ways to serve their brothers and sisters because they love them and they care for them. And that's a good thing. If it's from a spirit-led right heart, that's a good thing. But yet today we're going to see that that simply serving one another is not a complete picture of biblical love for the body of Christ. And we're going to see how we can live a life that excels as we look at really how to excel still more in love of the brethren. Would you turn your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we are looking at verses 9 through 12. Now the Apostle Paul has shared the word of God with the Thessalonians. They've come to faith. They've responded powerfully by the Spirit of God to the convicting gospel And he has been so thankful for their response, uh, their work of of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. And within that, the Apostle Paul has has, uh, been so thankful of the response of those around who have heard the testimony that has gone throughout the region in which Thessalonica was, that they had turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. And that's what chapter 1 is about, Paul's thankfulness for what God had done in the lives of the Thessalonians. They truly come to faith. Then in chapter 2, we see in the the context of Satan's strategy to slander and separate, the apostle Paul needed to then defend himself with the Thessalonians. You see, the apostle Paul had come and he had shared the word of God for three weeks. They had come to faith and then he was driven out of town. And then after he had been driven out of town, he was concerned about the Thessalonians, so he sent Timothy back to see how they were doing. And this letter is a response to that report. And yet there was obviously some need, the Apostle Paul felt, to defend the manner in which he had come to them. And so he shared that they had come with right motives. They had shared the word of God and they had imparted their lives. All that these Thessalonians would walk in a manner worthy of God. And he was so thankful that they truly received the word, not as the word of men, but God's word, which performs its work in you. And he shared that that work was being performed as they did even experience persecution because of God's word at work and also had blessed eternal relationships. And as I mentioned, the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 we see was very concerned about the Thessalonians. So he sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage them as to the faith. 
And Timothy went and he brought back a good report, a good report that they were standing firm in Jesus and that they had love for one another and love for the Apostle Paul and that they, they had a good attitude towards him and his companions. And the Apostle Paul made it clear in his thankfulness that he could not thank God enough for, for their response and that he really lives if they stand firm in the Lord. And within that, the Apostle Paul made it clear he was praying for them that God would cause their love to abound. And it's only the Lord that would do that. And then we came into chapter 4 in which the Apostle Paul begins to share uh, instructions for the Thessalonian church. And we saw that this, within these instructions, these chapters, chapters 4 and 5, are really practical instructions for our walk with Jesus Christ. Now, they were walking in a manner that did please God and did honor him, but they were to excel still more. And it's, he calls upon them to remember the previous instruction that they had received. And indeed, chapters 4, verses 1 through 3, give us a framework for the rest of the book as Paul is commanding and instructing them via the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ on how they are to walk and please the Lord God. Let's read that, actually. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord, Jesus, that as you received from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord. And then he revealed that this is God's will, their sanctification, that they are set apart from sin unto the Lord. That is what God is doing. And then from there, he begins to share some specific areas of God's will. First of all, what we saw last week, uh, that we should abstain from sexual immorality. That we need to keep applying biblical principles in the context of a real relationship with Jesus and abstain from those things. And that each one is to understand how to possess his vessel in, in sanctification and honor not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And we need to be ever mindful of the consequences of, of this terrible sin is so destructive, not only on self, but also against others. We are to know that the Spirit of God has been given to us, and we have the ability within that to, to rely on Him and not, because uh, we, we can't stay away from sin on our own. Only God can enable us to do that. And so at this point, the Apostle Paul transitions to a new subject in which they are to excel still more, from sexual purity to then, which which involves self-love, by the way, to then to excel still more in love of the brethren. And what I meant by sexual purity, when you're not pure, it's self-love. And now he extends to now how we should love in a selfless way, a true love of the brethren. So we're going to see today how we can live a life that excels in Christ more specifically in the area of the love of the brethren. Look at verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you 
so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Now, from our passage today, I think we're going to see three things. First of all, the basic instruction to, again, excel still more, but in the area of love for one another. Then we're going to see three specific but yet unusual expressions of love in the body of Christ that these Thessalonians needed to excel in, and we do too. And then we're going to see the rationale for such love. So notice as we begin, we are to be excelling still more in our love for the brethren. Verse 9, now as to the love of the brethren. And we're going to see in a minute, that's phileo, brotherly love. The brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to agape or to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it towards the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Remember we saw in verse 1 that we were to excel still more, that they were. They were to excel still more in how they ought to walk and please God. And that happens through the instruction of the Word of God to a willing and receptive heart that has the Spirit of God and is able thus to respond. And he says they were to excel still more. Same phrase. The term excel means to abound more and more. And in the context, it was to please God, how to walk and please Him. And we cannot please Him apart from faith. So they were to excel still more. And then our portion comes now where he says, now as to the love of the brethren. Look at verse 9. You could literally say, now concerning the love of the brethren. He's starting a new subject, but it is a subset of what he has been talking about before. Now concerning the love of the brethren. Now this term love of the brethren comes from the Greek word Philadelphia. Here the word Philadelphia speaks of brotherly love. It's a family love. It's a family love. Now as to the family love, he's speaking to the body of Christ. He's speaking of God's love in the body of Christ. Indeed, when you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation from that sin, believing that he died and rose from the dead, God's love manifest in Christ uh, is then brought forth. God's love is demonstrated in that we become children of God. First John chapter 3, verse 1, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. The Lord Jesus says in John 1:12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become ch- the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So he's talking about the subject of brotherly love, and that's brotherly love, God's love between believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what this passage is talking about. Now we need to understand the context of the grammar here, and I'm going to share how it works here. He says in verse 9, Now as to the love of the brethren, and he's going to say, by by the way, you're doing it, you're doing it. And then end of verse 10, this is really the command that connects this. We urge you, brethren, to excel still more. 
The basic thought is, now as to the love of the brethren, we urge you to excel still more. The term urge is the same word translated exhort as we saw in verse 1. It comes from the Greek word parakaleo, which means to call to one side. It speaks of encouraging, exhorting, imploring, urging. And here in this context, I believe it's a strong exhortation like we saw back in verse 1. And you also might remember we saw the term translated excel in verse 1. And in our verse, verse 10 here we see, means to go over and above, to overflow, to abound. It's not just simply doing better. It is overflowing, overflowing to excel. And the term translated more, still more here, means to a greater degree. And what is it there to excel and abound to a surpassing degree, a greater degree? Well, in verse 1, it was in how to walk and please God, but here we have a subset of that, in how to love the brethren. That's what our passage is about, excelling still more in the love of the brethren. You might remember in chapter 3, he prayed that the Lord might, might increase their love for one another. They might abound. That was his desire. May the Lord do that. May the Lord do that. And now he is instructing them. And we see in the context that it is through biblical instruction that we learn what God desires for us and then our hearts are changed and we allow his spirit to implement that in our lives. So then he says that we should be excelling still more in the love of the brethren. But how can we do this? These Thessalonians were young believers. They were under a year old in the faith, and they were called to excel still more in their love of the brethren. Notice we see that he reveals the basis for biblical love. Verse 9, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. How are they to love? The answer is quite obvious. You yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Hey, you don't need anyone. You have no need of anyone to come and teach you about biblical love for the body of Christ. You have no need of that because, as we see, it is an innate reality to those who are truly in the faith. God continually, habitually teaches. For you yourselves, that's emphatic, are taught by God. And this is an interesting word. It's uh, the word taught and God put together. It's a, it's a cognate. Literally means divinely instructed. You don't need a teacher in this because it is innate to your reality of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You are divinely instructed. And I mentioned this earlier, but he says love of the brethren. That's phileo love. It's a brotherly love. And then he says, for you yourselves are taught by God to agape one another. Indeed, we, we will, as we will see, in a true relationship with Christ, we are going to love our brothers and sisters. Now, the question is, sometimes we leave our first love, in a sense, which is Jesus and thus loving our, or his people, or we, our love becomes maybe distorted or whatever it might be. It may not be complete. There may be an inaccurate view. Sin gets in the way. But he's saying, you don't need to be taught about how to love your brothers and sisters. And you're going, hmm. 
Well, that's true. God directly, continually, habitually teaches us to love one another. When we are abiding in Christ, as we will see, one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. He changes our demeanor towards one another. It is innate to being a true believer. It is only sin that gets in the way. So then, we have this word agape, that God teaches us to love one another. And that word agape speaks of an action. Is the action of self-sacrifice in the context of obedience to his truth and his will. Now, if you've truly been saved, if your faith is genuine, now their faith was genuine, this was less than a year old, who's saying it sells still more, there will be evidence of that faith. A lot of people say, hey, I trusted in Jesus, I believe that, but there's no evidence. The reality is there's going to be evidence. The Apostle Paul has already been so thankful for the evidence of their genuine faith, which, as we will see, was love. Remember he said in chapter 1, their work of faith and their labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. This love is a special love for the body of Christ. What did Paul tell the Colossians? He says, we give thanks, chapter 1, verse 3 of Colossians, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and he doesn't stop there, and your love, which you have for all the saints. Genuine love for the body of Christ. Peter would go so far to say that we have been saved unto a sincere love of the brethren. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. I'll read it for you. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And he's going to say, for you haven't been born again with, from sea which is infra. You've been born again from supernatural reality. It's, it's, it's not perishable, but imperishable. The word of God has been used to change you. You've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. So then, fervently love one another. It's innate to why you've been saved. Take a look. Let's turn to the book of 1 John. We've already seen some in there, but turn to 1 John. The entire point, basically, of 1 John is that we should be obeying the Lord's primary command, which is to love one another. And if we're not, we're probably not saved. That's really what it's about. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of, devil, of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. That's pretty simple. Nor the one who does not what? Love his brother. Basic statement. You don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are not of God. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. You can know you've been saved because you have a different demeanor towards those who are truly the Lord's children. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How about 1 John 4, 7, turn up another chapter. Beloved, let us love one another. Look at this. For love is from God. And the implication, as we see in other passages in here, is when we are abiding in Christ, we are going to love. It is innate to our true new nature in Christ. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That's the test. That's the test. And he says here, the one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By, by this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, he gave himself for us, right? He sent his son. We also ought to love one another. You see, if you've truly been saved by God's grace and his love has been manifest to you, you've received it. The love of God has been demonstrated and is demonstrated in Christ dying for your sins. You're going to be changed. You're going to have a different demeanor towards the Lord and his people. He says in verse 12, No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And then you can go to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. You see, when you have the spirit of God and you're relying on the God that gives you his spirit, you're going to manifest his character. And one of the fruit of the spirits we see, the first is what? Love. But yet sometimes we have a wrong view of love, we don't understand what love truly is from a biblical perspective. Uh, John read this earlier, but turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And what we're going to see is that if I love the Lord, then I'm going to love his desires more than mine, you see, and I'm going to want to do his will. And if I love you, I'm going to want his will for you. I'm going to want his will to be done to you because I care for you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is this Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Now, certainly we, th- we understand we love Jesus, but here it's actually speaking of the children of God. Keep reading. By this we know that we love, there you go, the children of God, when we love God and observe his commands. You see, if I love you, I'm going to consider his will more important, and I'm going to do that in relationship to you, you see? Because you're more important. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Those are commands, his commands. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You see, it's a changed heart that enables one to have a desire that is changed and desires to do God's will for the benefit and blessing of those in the body of Christ. Second John, turn up to Second John chapter, well, there's only one chapter, Second John verse 4. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have received the commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, 
not as writing to you a new commandment, but one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love. Here you go. Here's a definition. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Some examples. He says that we should forgive one another. If I don't forgive you, I am not loving you. We're to think of others as more important than ourselves. We're to not be selfish. When I'm selfish, I'm not loving you. I'm self-loving, right? We're to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. When God's word is working in me, it is exhibiting a love towards you. And that's how you can know that. You see, indeed, when we walk by the Spirit, we'll experience the fruit of the Spirit. And the first fruit is love. So God's love, and a love that's from us, flows from the believer who is abiding and obeying Christ, led by the Spirit of God. And it is an evidence of a changed life. So does your life exhibit an evidence of true faith in Jesus? A love for his people? As, as, illustri- as, as exemplified in obeying his word towards one another, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's at wherever situations your brothers and sisters are around you? Do you have a desire to obey Christ, seeing others as more important than yourself, or are you always focused on serving your self-interests? Listen to the warning in the book of Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. He says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Amen, right? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider to what? To stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's the last let us, okay? Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And notice, this is connected. It doesn't stand on its own. Not forsaking. Consider how to stimulate not forsaking. Consider how to stimulate not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. For, he's explaining based on what he just said, for if we go on sinning willfully, that's not trusting, hoping, loving, and gathering because you're loving, right? He says... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. If you are not loving, if you never have loved, then something is wrong. You don't know the God of love. That means sin is in the way. But God is a God of love, and he declares that to you, and he wants you to understand that so you would turn and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. And by your new nature in Christ, you will have the ability then and the desire to love one another. It is innate to those who have trusted in Christ. Faith in Christ and love for his people go hand in hand. So back to our passage. Notice they were doing it because they're real believers. Back in 1 Thessalonians 4. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For, verse 10, indeed you do practice it towards all the brethren 
who are in Macedonia, hey, you are doing it. Indeed, you Thessalonians are loving. You are manifesting a love. It is happening. It is happening. You are loving the believers throughout the whole Roman province of Macedonia. That's the that's the Macedonia. It's the it's the province of Macedonia. That is where Thessalonica is in that province. And so he's encouraged them. You're doing well. You are loving the brethren. You're doing well. You do do it. But he's going to tell them that they need to excel even more. Excel even more. And he's going to give them some areas in which they may not have thought of, and you may not have thought of, which are an evidence of a lack of love that they need to excel in. You see, sometimes we as believers can be walking in love. We can be manifesting his, his love because we will. But there are areas in our lives that the Lord Jesus has to address which are not really loving the way we should. And he needs to address those areas in our lives. The Thessalonians, as you'll notice as we look at this passage, are not being reproved. Even though he's going to share three different areas which could be reproved, by the way. And as I share it, it may be reproved to some of you. But it's not really a reproof in the sense that he just wants them to excel by addressing these areas. You see? So then, notice he says, but we urge you, end of verse 10, brethren, to excel still more. You're doing well. You're loving the brethren. But overflow to a greater degree. To a greater degree. And that goes for us, right? The same thing. And the only way we can do so is by abiding in Christ. We know that. We love because he first loved us. That self-sacrificial agape love is demonstrated in spirit-led obedience. Self-sacrifice. We see that with the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2. We're to have the mind of Christ, the same mindset in the context of love. Read Philippians 2. That he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and in likeness of men, he, he, he served, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's love. And that was for us. That was for us. When you, in the context of trusting Jesus, obey his word, it's going to manifest in love for the body of Christ. And we're going to see it has an effect on those around us, even non-believers. And indeed, I've seen even in this body, people's love increase. But for each one of us, including myself, the Lord is telling us to excel still more. Don't stagnate. Continue to grow in your love. Continue to grow in your love. And then at this point, he's going to share some areas in which they might not have thought of were actually a hindrance to love. He's not reproving them. He's encouraging them to address these areas and then to do the right thing in these areas. Sometimes there are areas which we are misled as we are doing the right thing. We are misled and we need to understand where we're wrong so that we can excel in love. And he's going to do that here. And notice he shares three expressions here of true love of the brethren. Specific areas of obedience. That, you, that we or you may not even be aware of in the terms of love. You may be loving and you're excelling, but you didn't realize that there was an area here that needed to be addressed so that you could excel still more. Verse 10, the end of it. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And, notice the end there, very important, it's not a new 
thought here and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and to work with your hands just as we commanded you. Now, there are some commentators that see verses 11 and 12 as speaking of a completely different subject than love, and I disagree. The Greek grammar points to the reality that he is continuing the thought with that and there. He is continuing the thought. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to do something. And he's going to explain. He's going to talk about three different areas, three implied commands. First, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to attend to your own business, and to work with your hands. Three specific areas that they were to excel still more in the love of the brethren. Areas to obey. Three things which would cause their love to excel. Indeed, sometimes we might not be doing these things and we are manifesting really a lack of love in those areas and we need to understand that. We're not deliberately trying to sin. We're, we're just misled as we're going to say. And I believe the Thessalonians were misled in some areas and he is telling them how to correct that so they would excel in their love for one another. Let me share a little context because I think this helps for this portion. Paul doesn't chastise them, as I mentioned, for this portion. He just wants them to excel still more in their love, and he is addressing some issues. Now, as I mentioned before, there may be a point where you have yielded so much of these issues, it's sin, because you, you, you need to be aware of it, and you need to confess that. But here, they just start to excel, and he's going to talk about that. So what do I mean? The Thessalonians were doing well in the Lord... They were looking forward to the great reality of the coming in Christ. They were truly focused on Jesus' coming. You see, it had only been 20 years since he had died and rose from the dead, and the church believed the truth as we do, that his coming is imminent. That means it could happen at any time. However, the day is not known. And Paul certainly had praised them for their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus, chapter 1, verse 3, and that they were waiting for his Son from heaven, who he had raised raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were focused on the right things. But sometimes a right focus can become out of balance with other things that God says we are to do, and the result is a lack of love or a love that needs to excel in those areas. So then... We're going to see, evidently, that these believers had become over-focused on one area of truth. Not a bad area. It's wonderful. We should all be focused that way. But it was affecting some other areas. We're going to see later in this book and in Second Thessalonians that some of these Thessalonians had become preoccupied with the coming of Christ. One area of biblical truth, which is true, to the exclusion of other areas, like, for instance, you need to work. You see? They had become so occupied that their focus had been pulled away from everyday obedience to Christ. Some had quit their jobs, were acting like busybodies. Some had become discouraged concerning their hope because their loved ones had passed away. We'll see that. Not knowing what had happened to them, because Christ hadn't come yet. These were people who were believing the truth, but that truth was not balanced with other truth, and they needed to grow so that their love would excel still more. It's not talking about the fanatics... Of have that have false teaching like we see on TBN and things like that. These Thessalonians 
had become preoccupied with one area of truth, which is very important to be preoccupied with. I would say, don't lessen that, but just be aware of these areas. That's what he's going to say. Keep your focus on Jesus and his coming. Yes, very good. But their resulting behavior was bordering on an unloving burden, emotionally, physically, and financially to the rest of the body. And I believe they weren't aware, even though he had commanded them before, and he needs to remind them so that they would excel still more. Sounds familiar, right? We have this problem in church at times that people are zealous about one area of truth. And it's really, it's a good thing to be zealous about it. But it affects other areas where they don't address those areas and things become imbalanced. And that imbalance becomes unloving towards those in their midst. You all know the type of person that within 30 seconds of talking to them is sharing their opinion concerning one type of doctrine only and it never stops, right? Maybe it's end times, maybe it's election, maybe it's evangelism, maybe it's missions. None of these things are wrong within themselves, but they've become too focused on one area. Many, many years ago in this church, we had a man who was a believer, really likable guy, nice guy, who I think truly wanted to serve the Lord. And and he manifests love in some areas of his life. We see that. But unfortunately, just about every word out of his mouth was Calvin, election, Arminian. It got so bad that you didn't want to be around him. It was hard to love him, okay? Bible studies became a dreadful time because every other comment was related through the framework of this true doctrine. But it was related and unbalanced, And people were intimidated. If they didn't say a phrase correctly about something, they might be considered something wrong or whatever it might be. For these Thessalonians, evidently something had become unbalanced. And the Apostle Paul is addressing this. They're doing well. You are loving. But you got these areas you got to address. And they have to do with love. And you may not have thought of it. And for us, the same thing. Indeed, In verse 13 of our passage here, chapter 4, he begins and he connects talking about those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Right after this point, and there's a connection with it. He's going to address the fact of Christ coming and these people who had really had no hope. They were acting almost like those who didn't know Christ of their lost ones. And he has to remind them, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We'll see that as we come up to it. And also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's quite apparent that some had quit their jobs because they thought the Lord was coming. Why work if the Lord is coming? Why should I, why should we work? The Lord's coming, right? This world's going to get burned up. All true things, right? Do you see the human rationale and reasoning behind that? Unfortunately, it's wrong. And they were young, less than a year in their faith. For example, I've heard of people who have quit their jobs because they were persecuted and they couldn't witness at work. I think, wait a second. As we'll see, there's no love for others in such a decision. It's a lack of love, as we're going to see, even though it may be based on truth or or true realities in Christ. So with that in mind, the Apostle Paul addresses some issues related to their right yet slightly misguided focus, and we see some unique expressions of love what's the first one well we're to love one another by leading a quiet life we're not to be fanatically a fanatical emotional drain on the body of christ 
Look at verse 10 again, the end of it. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You want to excel in your love for the brethren? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, these words are very important because the Apostle Paul uses specific words. We can't see all the nuances because we're not speaking Greek or listening in Greek. But this term translated ambition means to be ambitious, obviously, to be zealous, to strive eagerly. The implication is you are zealous about this area, but be zealous about this. Be zealous about this. The word translated quiet life speaks of an inward rest or calm with an outward silence. It is used to speak of resting in Luke chapter 23, 56, and it is also translated in many places silent in relationship to speech. They were silent. Silent. Here's the oxymoron. He's saying, you want to be zealous about the Lord? Doctrinal truth about his Christ coming? Be zealous about being quiet. Be zealous about being quiet. There's a spiritual laser beam right to the heart of the matter, right? There are some people who are actually loving the Lord and they're good brothers and sisters, but this area needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. You want to be zealous about the Lord? Be zealous about being quiet. Be fanatical about being quiet. That's love. Brother and sister, you need to recognize an unbalanced balanced zealousness manifest in your speech is unloving and it can hurt people. Be fanatical about being quiet. Make it your ambition. You think of an ambition. What's your ambition in your life? Make it your ambition to have your lips zipped, right? To be quiet. We need to think about this because I know that... We want to follow the Lord and we want to love the Lord and we need to excel tomorrow and we are excelling. But sometimes there's areas that we need to, like that, to excel still more. Be fanatical about being quiet. If you want to excel still more in your love for another, let's close our mouths and let the Spirit of God control our speech. You think working out at the food bank and things like that is a loving act, but so is a tongue controlled by the Holy Spirit. James 1.26, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Now, I don't think they were sinning massively with their tongues. They're not being rebuked. And it is a slight rebuke, yes. But it's like, Get it in balance. Be zealous about being quiet. Now, those of you who tend to lean towards the extreme, don't take this command in an extreme manner. He's not saying don't speak at all. Paul certainly addressed sin and spiritual problems. He spoke directly to them. There is a balance. There is a healthy, mature, Christ-honoring a uh, spirit-led reality where we speak the truth in love. But if you are zealous about anything, and it's coming out in your words, rather be zealous about being quiet. If you want to excel in your love, obey this command. 
Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. This may be convicting for some. And it may not be that you're sinning really outright. It's just something that God wants you to be aware of. Things are out of balance. Make it your ambition to be quiet. Well, notice there's another portion here. Another expression of true love. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, abound more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. The phrase own business literally means to, 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 or to attend to a practice, to accomplish one's own. Do one's own. Do one's own. Or literally, your own thing, your own stuff. Attend to your own business. You want to love people? Take care of your own life first. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Don't be, as I would say, a relational pest. Quit sticking your nose in everyone else's business. Now, as it appears, some were zealous. Some had quit their jobs. They had a lot of free time. So it's apparent they might have spent their time, as we'll see in chapter 3 and also in 1 Timothy, as busybodies, rather, to, rather than attending to their own business. Got time in your hands. It's easy to think about other people's business. Now, it's not speaking about isolationalism. That's selfishness. Proverbs 18.1, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. It's speaking about minding your own business. And we can fall into this, brothers and sisters. We can be unloving by getting our nose in other people's business. Whether it's through hearing prayer requests or whatever it might be, we start to get our, we start to get focused on other stuff. Mind your own business. Concentrate on your own responsibility instead of others. Mind your own business. You want to love people. Mind your own business. This one, I think, is widely happening in church at times. People are not minding their own business, maybe for good reasons. He's not condemning them in a sense. He's saying, if you want to sell still more, mind your own business. Right? Now, as a pastor, this is a difficult one because I'm supposed to be watching over the souls of the flock. And so whenever I feel that there's a line that's getting close to, I'm reminded of what the Lord Jesus said to Peter. Turn to John 21. John 21. The Lord is going to tell Peter basically what's going to happen to him when he dies or how he's going to die, the manner of death that's going to happen. And then Peter's going to make a little request. And the Lord is going to give an answer that we need to think about. And this is helpful when we think about what's going on in other people's lives. Sometimes for good reasons we love them, but we're really not minding our business, right? John 21, verse 18. Truly I say to you, speaking to Peter, that when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now he said this signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. Peter turned. Now, is he doing what Jesus said? He's follow me, right? That's what he says. Now Peter turned around and seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? 
Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, here you go, Lord, St. Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? What about him? And notice the answer. Jesus said to him, and he's speaking, what about, what's his death going to be like? And he said, Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? Let them lead their own lives. Now, if it's certainly sin that is over and over, you need to address it for their good, come alongside. That's one thing. But we get too caught up in people's lives. And we don't mind our own business. What is it to you? You follow me. And that's the, that's the verse that convicts me and keeps me straight. And it should keep you straight too. Therefore... Thus, this saying, therefore, he went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? Let the Lord take care of other people's business. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Paul addresses this uh, problem in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Turn there, Second Thessalonians 3. And again, they had quit their jobs, evidently, but they were doing it for the right reason, but it was the wrong action. You know, you can have the right reason or motive and do the wrong thing. Right? Second Thessalonians 3, verse 11. For we hear some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Did you hear about so-and-so's whatever it was? Let's pray for them. Did you also hear about that? Did you hear about this? Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Speaking to young widows with much time on their hands, those who some had even given themselves over to serve Satan. You can read that portion. 1 Timothy 5.13, And at the same time, they learn also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, not merely being idle, but also gossips and busybodies. You've heard that term, the, the, the um, what about the devil's workshop, right? I forget now, yeah, the idle time, that's it, right? Right? Idleness is the devil's workshop. Well, yep, Satan gets a chance to get in there. We should be minding our own business. Excel still more in your love. You are loving the body of Christ, but do so by minding your own business. Excel still more. And maybe that's convicting for some because you thought, hey, I really was interested in where they're at with the Lord and I want to help them and that's the motive. It's a good motive, but you're not minding your business. Mind your own business. Now look at the third one. He says, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and then work with your hands. Love the body of Christ, excel still more by working hard. Ultimately, don't be a financial drain on the body of Christ. There was a problem here in Thessalonica. Again, there were those who were out of work doing nothing because they were focused on Christ's coming. And Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And this was in contradiction to the instructions that Paul had given them, you see. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For you yourselves, verse 7. 
For you yourselves ought know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day, so that we might not be what? A burden to any of you. That's true love, by the way. Not because we didn't have the right for, to, to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you may follow our example. For even when we were with you, that's the first three weeks of their faith, by the way, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Christ to work, Jesus Christ, to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Some of you are not loving because you're not responsible. Maybe you don't realize that. But you become a burden to the body of Christ. That's not loving. And they were to love. They were to love. You want to excel still more in your love for the brethren? Work hard. Work hard with your own hands. Don't be a burden. Eat your own bread. Push your own wheelbarrow. Pay your own bills. In this, you will love the brethren. Now, certainly there are times when people are in genuine need and we want to help them. How can we not? How would the love of God be in us if we don't? But this is speaking of those who are able to work and are not working the way they should. Now, we've had people here, you know, that were, seemed to be following the Lord, but yet had some work issues, you know, and I would talk to them, I'd say, well, what about this job? Oh, no, I can't do that. What about this? Oh, no, no, no. It was always, you know, work, work. Love your brothers and sisters. So then we have these commands. Make it an ambition to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, Work with your hands and notice what he says in the end of verse 11 back in 1 Thessalonians 4. Just as we commanded you. Hey, we've commanded you before. Do this. We've given you these commands. Obey them and excel still more in your love. Excel in your love for one another. You want to love your brothers and sisters even more? Lead a quiet life. You want to love your brothers and sisters even more? Mind your own business. You want to love your brothers and sisters even more? Work hard. Don't be overzealous, an emotional drain. Don't be a relational drain. Don't be a financial drain. Now, maybe you've been convicted that you haven't loved the way you should in these areas. And praise the Lord. Just confess if you, if you have sinned. If you haven't, be determined to excel still more. But if you have, confess. I've been overzealous about this. It's a good thing. I believe it with my whole heart, but I've been out of balance, and I'm sorry. You have to say that to somebody, possibly. God is good. He'll forgive you. He wants you to excel still more. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, and work with your hands. Now, at this point, notice there's a rationale for it. Verse 12, so that... You may behave behave properly towards outsiders. Very interesting. And not be in any need. Here's the rationale. For this reason, so that you may behave or literally walk 
peripateo, your day-to-day actions, in a manner that is proper towards outsiders. The term outsider spoke of those who were outside of the faith. The term properly is, a, is two words. It comes from the Greek word ou that speaks of good and schema, which speaks of form, figure, or fashion. So it speaks of an outwardly attractive good appearance. Do these things so outwardly what they see is not going to stumble them. How many non-believers have been stumbled by people talking all the time about doctrine and this and that, keeping their mouths and being busy bodies and, and even believers who are sharing their faith, but yet they're not working or whatever it might be? Don't stumble them so that you may behave properly towards outsiders. People are watching. It's important. It's serious. Keep your mouth shut. Don't be fanatical, emotional, drain the body. Even the non-believers can see that. Serious issue. Remember Matthew chapter 5, we are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth, right? But notice also, I think he speaks of believers in the second half of this, and not be in any need. It's not the world that provides the needs of 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 believers. Usually when believers are in need, they go to the body of Christ. and, And there is an appropriate place for that, there is no doubt that we want to help people that are in true need. But these are people who are in need because they have not obeyed the Lord in certain areas. That you wouldn't be in any need. That you wouldn't be a drain on the body of Christ. It's unloving to be needy emotionally, spiritually, or physically. It's unloving. Sell still more. Sell still more. So how can we excel still more in our walk with Christ here? We are to excel in our love for one another through spirit-led personal obedience to the Lord in regards to his commands. And secondly, we are to allow, or we are to recognize those areas in our lives that are unloving and confess it. We need to be quiet, mind our own business, and work hard. Because the world is watching... And the body can be burdened. So how you doing? Any areas that you need to excel still more in? The Thessalonians did, and I believe we do too. Hopefully we've been convicted in those areas, and we will, by his power and strength, confess if we need to, but also move forward and grow and excel still more in these areas. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. We need it so desperately. And I thank you how gracious you were through the Apostle Paul in these areas, Lord God. And I pray that that graciousness would come through as we address these issues, that we would excel still more in love for one another. And if those specifics apply to any of us, that we would see that rightly and, and excel still more in these areas. Lord, you're a gracious God, and we ask you to change our hearts that we would be more like your son, Jesus, that you would change us so that you would be glorified in our actions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.